Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Oh, man. You know what? We are, um, you heard the announcement, January 2nd. We will be up here. The kids will be coming into this facility right behind us. We had an inspection on Friday. Um, other than one minor little detail we had to address, we're good to go on that. We had a good inspection, and we are, we are so close. The, the inspection's good. We have still do some cosmetic work. Eric and I, my son-in-law, are working on the train tracks. We, we got these train tracks we're laying out on the floor over there. And the whole time I'm working on them, I keep hearing that Johnny Cash song. You know, I hear the train coming. <laughs> and, uh, but it's going to really, really be cute. And uh, so anyhow, thanks to all of you who have helped us over the past, gosh, I think we started this the end of July. Um, you should have been here Thursday and Friday. There was a door right over here that goes in there that beat John and um, Paul Holland up for about a day. But uh, they have overcome. Trust me, they overcame. Anyhow, well, you doing well? Good, good. I'm going to preach you a message this morning, but before I do, I want to share you a little, I want to share a little experience that I had with you on Friday night this week. So Friday night, I had planned that we were taking the staff and we were going to go to State College. And what we were going to do in State College was see the play, It's a Wonderful Life. It was going to be a great night. Going to get down, do the play, celebrate Christmas. We like to do some fun things like that and, and uh, go out to eat afterwards. And so some of us went early and some of us came later. Troy and Kelly went early. And so, because they were a little earlier than us, they went to the theater, and they texted me. They said, we'll get the tickets together. We'll get the tickets for you, you know. And I said, okay, they're at will call. And then Troy texted me, and he said this. They said, the people in the theater said, that they had a schedule to be there the night before. Now, we're talking 20-some tickets, right? I said, no, 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 no. I called them. I told them we wanted tickets for Friday the 21st, da-da-da-da-da. Anyhow, long story short, so now we're there on Friday night, and they're saying we should have been there Thursday night, but they made it happen, and we were able to go to the play on Friday night. And then as I was parking, and Karen's over there laughing some more, belly laughing for a week, all right? And, and so then, a few minutes later, as I'm getting ready to park, Troy texts me again. He says, hey, did you know this was a movie? I said, what? A movie? No, it's a play. Now, he and I, I'm just going to say, he and I both have looked at this website. At any rate, whatever. So, I said, a movie? I thought it was a play. So, no, it's not. Now I'm really not happy. I did not plan to bring them to State College to see the 1947 version of It's a Wonderful Life. You could watch that on television. I was irritated. I wasn't happy about it. So then I thought, I even sat in the van and Googled things to do in State College that night. But I'm not going to this movie. I'm going to some, do something else, find something. There wasn't anything else. So we went to watch the movie. Fortunately, we have a great group who are flexible and fun. And, uh, and then I find out that at least half of our group have never seen the movie. I'm 55 years old. I've never seen the movie. I've never watched the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. 
Look at you. Oh, you I, I'm still saved, though. <laughs> okay? Like, y'all like, oh, okay. Never saw it. But I found out Kelly never saw it. She doesn't watch black and white movies. Now, Teresa never saw it. And we're going, and all these people that never saw it. Peter never saw it. He's been in three movies in his life, but he's never saw that movie. Hmm? That's right. That was the third one. And so now half the group never saw it. So we go, we watch the movie. And, and, and now what happened was most of us, I think all of us who admitted that we never saw it, also said we never would have taken the time to watch it this year at home on TV. I have flipped past it many years. All right, and all of a sudden what happened was we went in and we watched this and we loved it. And the movie was great. And we all loved it and we all had fun and we all had a great time watching it. And then those who could go afterwards, we went out to eat and we shared some more laughs and had some more fun and it was really well. And the moral of this story is at the end of, the, first of all, any trip with me is usually exciting, I'm just telling you. <laughs> okay, like, like I'm just telling you. <laughs> All right. One time I had Jason halfway to Ireland on a kayak on the ocean. I'm, paddle, I'm paddling and I'm paddling and I'm paddling and I'm noticing he's not. I said, dude, what's the matter? He said, I don't want to go any farther. <laughs> so, so, the end of the, so the thing is, the end of the night actually caused me to view the beginning of the night differently than I originally had. It caused me to view the beginning of the night now with joy. Had the ending not been what it was, I would not have laughed at the end. Had the ending not been what it was, I would not have had joy over the rest. Come on, how many of you know there's sometimes how things end dictate how you view the beginning? And, uh, and so I want to I talk to you about, this was a perfect intro to my message today, and I, wanna, I have a title called The End Causes Joy for the Beginning. The end causes joy for the beginning. Now, let me let you in on a little something else. I found out that it was the Taylor family's tradition to go to see this movie every year in State College. Aha. Uh -huh. And Bethany, our youth pastor's wife, was talking to Tabby and saying, we're going to see the play in State College. And she's thinking in the back of her mind, oh, I don't think you're going to see a play. How many of you know somebody could have told somebody that it wasn't a play, it was actually a movie? <laughs> but it would not have made the story near as good. <laughs> but I want to talk to you today about the end causes joy for the beginning. Um, we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, you know, and, and, and all that goes with it. And you know me, I'm, I'm, I, I get a little weary of what we've done to the Christmas story in that we have sometimes in the Christian world dumbed it down so much that we missed the big picture. We have made it so much more about the romantic parts of it in our Western culture philosophy that we actually have missed the big picture of what Christmas really is. But I won't get into all that today. But what I want to do is I want to start with this morning what I'm going to tell you are three of my favorite Christmas scriptures, okay? These are three of my favorite scripture for Christmas. The first one. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And you're all saying, yep, he is crazier than a bed bug. Let me give you one of my, sec my second one. He's not here, for he is risen. 
just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Let me give you the third one. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. These are three scriptures that caused me to look at Christmas with an incredible joy that I would not have had I not known those scriptures and had I not known the end from the beginning. Because how many of you know there were lots of babies born, but it was the end of this baby that causes joy over his birth. And, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about this this morning, and, and we'll try to make some sense out of it. And Father, we just love you this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for you being this incredible loving, radical God who loved his humanity so much that we celebrate this time of year when you gave your son to become like us so we could become like you. And so, Father, we just ask you to use this message in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin with a few thoughts on this and as we kind of navigate through it, I'm also Got some ideas this morning, and I got to do a few things. And uh, um, um, yeah, you know what's fun? Giving. So give me something. What's your names? I'm Megan. I'm Megan. We've met, right? No. Yeah, but I don't know you well. I don't know anything about how your Christmas is. Hello. But how you doing, man? What's your name? Marshall. Marshall? Yeah. Yeah? Good to meet you. What's your shirt say? General Cable. Cool. That's a big building. They're trying to get something done over there. Listen to me. This is a Christmas blessing to you that God wants you to have. It's not from the church. It's not from me. Somebody gave me money to give away, so I'm giving you some money today to bless you and hope you can use a little extra for Christmas. Thank you. All right? Be blessed. See, I get the joy of giving it out. I, I, you know, somebody said to me, give this money away. I said, okay. So now I got everybody's attention. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a moment. We need to talk about this because I want to tell you this morning that you must understand, you must understand that in our lives, how we view the manger is pretty much predicated on how we view the rest of the story. All right, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. Let me begin with this. Let's, let us understand something. How many of you know before Jesus was born, Jesus existed? Let us always remember this one thing, that before he was born as a man, Jesus existed. The beginning of Jesus was not 2,000 years ago. The beginning of Jesus was not in a manger. The beginning of Jesus was not in Bethlehem. Okay, he's the he's the. Alpha and the Omega, he's the, uh, he's the author of our faith. He's the increaser of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the ancient of days that he did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. All right? And, and so I want us to always keep that because that matters. The reason it matters so much is because the Bible says that he willingly emptied himself of his rights and his prerogatives and took on the form of a man. Because how many know who he was? God, he became like us, all right? So we have to understand something first and foremost. I think we do our, we're doing our children an injustice if we only tell them that this is his birthday and we don't explain who the rest of it, the story. We must explain that it's the day that God became Emmanuel, 
God became flesh incarnate. Do not allow them to only view it as his birthday, and it's only his birthday. No, no, no. It is in terms of human form. But listen to me this morning. If you don't tell them the rest of the story, they don't understand the incredible love of God to become like us in order for us to become like him. So we got to figure out a way to expand the story and take our kids deeper into the story, but it's okay to use that. You know what I'm saying? He existed before he was born. At creation, he was there. Cover to cover, he is there. He didn't just begin in Bethlehem. Let us always remember that. And now, here's what I want you to know. The life of Jesus causes me to have joy over the birth of Jesus. When I pick up the scriptures and I read the Bible, how many believe the Bible to be true? Okay? Because let me know if you don't believe the Bible to be true, it's kind of a mute point. And so now, his life, as I read in the Gospels, causes me to have joy over the fact that he was born. Why? Well, let me tell you a little bit about his life. First of all, the Bible tells me that he was born the image of man so that man could become the image of God. So now God said, I love my humanity so much, I'm going to take my son and I'm going to make him like them so that through him they can become like me. Because how many know in the garden when we were created, when humanity was created, we were created in what? The image of God. And when we were created in the image of God, we sinned. And when we sinned, we were no longer the image of God. And we now had a penalty against us that we could not pay for. And now God had to do something whereby he could redeem humanity. And his idea to redeem humanity was what? Christ Redeemer. The one who would crush the head of the serpent. So now, he would have to become like us. Think about this. I know some people in this world that sometimes are ashamed to hang out with other people in this world because they view themselves to be above those people in this world. We're talking about God. God's son saying, I will become like them. How many know we were a little less than him? Hmm? Tommy Reed told me a story last time he was in. Those of you who know Bishop Tommy Reed from Buffalo, New York, he's been in the ministry 522 years, okay? He's 80-some years old now. He knows everybody who's everybody who's been anybody. It's amazing to me. And he sits and tells me stories all the time. And he was telling me the story about years and years and years ago when Jimmy Swagger went through his failure that he knew Jimmy from when they were young. And, and so he was in Louisiana after that happened. He said, I felt compelled to stop and see him. So I stopped and I stopped to see him. He said, I went in and I talked to him for an hour or two. He said, Tommy, nobody comes. Nobody comes and talks. Nobody calls. And he went to see him. He said, then Jimmy says to him, that parking lot's empty today. It's one of the first days it's been emptied of news cameras, reporters, vans, it's been filled. Can't go in or can't go out. He said, there's nobody there. He said, you want to go for lunch? Tommy said, sure, let's go for lunch. He said, so we leave there and we go down and we're going into the city to go for lunch and we were going to go to this place. And all of a sudden, he said, as we were getting close to it, he said, I felt this sense of shame and embarrassment 
that I was going to be seen in public with Jimmy Swaggart. Now, this is Tommy telling me this. And just, he says, and all of a sudden, he said, I came face to face with my carnality, face to face with this, my, my own sin, face to face with my pride. He says, and I had to repent quickly. He says, then I went into the, I went into the restaurant. And I said, I'll, say, I'll get us the table. I went into the restaurant. He said, and I said to the maitre d'. He says, I am with Brother Swaggart. I want the best seat in the house. Do you understand that the God of the universe, the creators of the heavens and the earth, the one who names the stars, that one said, I will lower myself to become the image. I will limit myself to become like man. So the man comes like me. When I read about Jesus being weary, when I read about him being, uh, uh, when I read about him mourning, when I read about him going through temptation, when I read about him, I'm reading his life of this one who said, I will become like them. So they become like me. He was born, the Bible says, poor, so we become what? Rich. Rich. We become poor. And, and I said last week, I said to you about that, that I really believe that part of that was the only thing God wanted that would attract us to Jesus was his love. It's easy to be attracted to people with money. Come on, right? It's easy to be attracted to people who are good looking and have something about them. It's good for that. The Bible says he had no stately form or appearance to draw us to him. There was nothing to draw us to Jesus except his love. He was poor so we could become rich. Jesus was born the son of a carpenter so that we could become the sons of God. You see, this life that he lived causes me to view this manger in a different way. Jesus was born, now this is very important. He was born as a man because let me know he had to face the temptation that we would face. A redeemer and a savior who does not face the temptation that you and I faced isn't as powerful. Think about it. Some people dismiss his life in the flesh as, well, he was God. No, the Bible says he was fully God, fully man. All right? And, and so now Jesus was born to face temptation so that now you and I can overcome temptation. You say, how do I overcome temptation? Ah, it's a good question. Let me tell you. Jesus comes. The Bible says he was tempted. There was, by everything you and I have been tempted, we watch him in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy. And when he's tempted by the enemy, he responds with the word of God. But how many know what the real difference was? How many know what the real difference was when he was in that wilderness as a man? Being tempted by the enemy. The Bible says that he was filled with something. What was he filled with? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of him enabled him to overcome the enemy. Do you know the Bible says today that you and I have the Spirit of God in us who puts to death the deeds of the body? That the Bible says that the Holy Spirit who empowers us, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? Listen to me. When I'm viewing his life, Jesus' life is an example for my life. Right? So now, God gives him, he comes a form of a man, so that man, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, would overcome temptation so that now there's hope that you and I overcome temptation. A savior who never faced temptation. How can I have a savior who never faced temptation? 
What kind of savior would that be? It would be one that was never tempted to sin. No, no, no. We have a savior that overcame sin. That disempowered sin. The life of Jesus caused me to have this, 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 I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Jesus was born to face this temptation, his life, so that we could overcome. He was born, the Bible says, under the law so that I could overcome the law. How many know the law stood against me? The law stood against you. The law stood up, you are, the law was opposed to you. You, it, you, you. you can't fulfill it. Has anybody here been able to fulfill the law flawlessly? If you are, I will sit down and you now can take over. We need somebody up here more righteous than me. The law stood opposed to man. The law stood as an enemy to man. The law was perfect. The law was holy. The law was righteous. There was nothing wrong with the law of God. There was nothing wrong with God's law. The problem was what? This heart. The Bible says my heart is deceitfully wicked from childbirth. Ooh. The Bible says I got a sin nature. How many know that that sin nature changes when the Holy Spirit takes residence here through the salvation by Christ? Come on. Can we understand that I'm a new creation when we're born again? New creation. Stop living according to an old identity. How many know that? How many know that? Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to say something else. When you are saved and you are born again, you are no longer a sinner. You're a son. You might sin, but your identity is a son. Let me ask you a question this morning. Any of you got children? Any of them ever sin? Where'd they get that from? You, okay. <laughs> and when they sinned, did you disown them? Of course not. Of course not. And neither does God. You gotta live according to the identity of who he made you to be. But Jesus was born under the law, fulfilled the law. So guess what? Now I am able to overcome the law. Jesus, one word about his life. He was born to experience death so that I could experience life. Imagine this. We're talking about God, the Son of God, the Alpha, the Omega, beginning, the end, the Ancient of Days, the one who always was, was born as a man and yet was going to have to die as a man. He's going to have to face death. He's going to have to die. Why? Because unless he dies, and unless he goes to Calvary, and unless he goes to the cross, I will never experience life. I will never experience eternal life. It had to happen that way. He was born to experience death so we could experience life. The death of Jesus causes me to have joy over the birth of Jesus. When I look at the Gospels and I believe what the Gospels say by faith, when I see his death and I know that his death was a ransom for me, I now have joy over the birth of Jesus. How do I have birth, joy over his birth if I don't know about his salvation? How can I have joy over his birth if I'm not redeemed and saved and born again? Because if I don't believe in that, his birth means nothing to me.
Jesus was born to something lower than himself so we could be transformed to something higher than ourselves. This incredible God. He's an incredible God. How many know that there's times in your life as a parent you will become less so your kids can become more? Hmm? Sure. You sacrifice and you do it joyfully for their future. This is what God did. This is what Jesus did. I will lower myself and I will transform myself into something that I'm not so they can be something higher than themselves. You see, joy over the manger is a result of seeing the manger through the cross. If I don't view the manger through the cross, I will not have joy over the manger. What difference does it make? If I don't believe the baby in the manger is the, God, uh, is, the, is the redeemer on the cross, that manger means nothing to me. But now because I believe who the one on the cross is, I believe who the one in the manger is. And that one in the manger, I'm so glad he was born. And I'm so glad that God gave him to us. And I'm so glad that Emmanuel came to dwell among us. Jesus, his death, causes me to view that manger differently. The resurrection of Jesus. Let's talk about that for a moment. Man, how, come on. We, we know the Bible says what? That he came and, and, and he was put on a cross and he was put there and he died for our sins and he paid the price and the blood was shed. And then they took that body, which you've heard me preach before, and they took him into that tomb, which I believe is a picture of the holy place where the blood was applied on the top of the mercy seat because Jesus was our mercy seat. And the Shekinah glory comes down and meets with him and God accepts that offering. And then there's a resurrection where that high priest is coming back out of that tomb. Right? And it's the resurrection of Jesus that causes me to have joy over the birth of Jesus. The joy of the manger is a result of seeing the manger through an empty tomb. That the one that was born in a manger is the one that went to a cross, was killed on a cross, put in a grave. But that grave is empty. And now I have joy over that one who was born in a manger. And can I tell you, a manger wasn't a wooden hut built like this. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Google that sometime. Research it some. You'll find out what it really was. Right? What I'm trying to bring about today is why do I have joy today? Why do I rejoice over the birth of a baby? Why do I have birth of a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago? Why? Because I know the end. The end causes me to have rejoice and joy over the beginning. You see, the joy of the manger is a result of seeing the manger through an empty tomb. If that tomb's not empty, the Bible says we have no hope. I, I grieve differently today because of an empty tomb. I don't grieve as a man without hope. You don't grieve as a man without hope. You grieve as people with hope. Life can deal you some setbacks. Life can deal you some heartache. Life can take your son. Life can take your daughter. Life can take your spouse. Sickness can come upon you. But you cannot take my joy because it is not based on life. It is based upon a cross, an empty tomb. And now I got joy, I got joy, and real joy, not, not put on joy, 
not joy caused by, I got a present under a tree. Although I better have a present under a tree, Tony. Just thought I'd set that up there. I'm just kidding. But my joy is over this person. This person by the name of Jesus. That the Bible said, the angels said, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Isn't it funny? The prophetic announcement of the future that brought them joy is actually our looking back. In other words, we now are on this side of that prophetic announcement. And the same good news causes us joy, but we're looking backward and they were looking forward. The joy of the manger is a result of seeing the manger through an empty tomb. But the tomb might be empty but the throne is not. You see, because right now, where is my Jesus? The Bible tells me he's seated at the right hand of the Father on a throne, and guess what he's doing? The Bible says what? He's interceding for me. He's interceding for you. That he is not inactive right now. How many know he's just not sitting back like this? Penny told me to wear red today. I said, okay, I'll wear red. This is really the only red I got. I'm thinking, man, I, got, I don't have much red. So I got my Santa Claus red shirt on and my Poinsettia red shoes on. You like that? Shh. He's interceding for me. He's interceding for you. He's not inactive. Oh, praise God. You see, the joy of the manger is a result of seeing the manger through an inhabited throne. An inhabited throne. That I know that when I go through trial and temptation and the Holy Spirit yearns, cries out from me, and I know there's a Savior and a high priest who's interceding for me. I know that when I go through heartache and loss, I got one who's praying for me. And he's better than you. Aren't you glad you got somebody better than your pastor praying for you? I just want you to know she finally woke up. The joy of the manger is a result of seeing the baby of the manger through the high priest who's interceding for me. Come on, my high priest is active. My high priest is interceding. And then there's the future of Jesus. You see, I, got, I can look back at the manger, but I look back through his life. I look through, back through his death. I look back through an empty tomb. And I'm going to look back by looking through the future. The Bible says to me there's a day coming where he's coming back a second time. He's coming back a second. The first time he came, he came as a baby in a manger. The first time he came, he came as a lamb to be slain. The first time he came, he came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to be the sacrifice for sin. But, oh, baby, not the next time. The next time he's coming differently. 
You see, the future of Jesus causes me to have joy over the birth of Jesus because the Bible says that my Jesus that was born in a manger, lived a sinless life, went to a cross, killed on that cross, put in a grave, raised from the grave, who's interceding for me, is now coming back. And oh, by the way, he's coming back on a white horse, and the one who's on is faithful and true, and he's not coming back to die again. And now I have joy because of the future. Hey, Logan, have a Christmas blessing. So good to see you, kiddo. Logan's home. He love you. I saw you this morning at the clay cup as I went through and got some caffeine because I need some. Whoops, take that. It's just a small blessing, not from me, from somebody in the church. Now that I got your attention again. The joy of the manger is a result of seeing the manger through prophetic the future. We have a prophetic future that causes me to look back at that manger and say, thank you, God, for sending a baby in a manger. Thank you, God, for giving your son in this world. Thank you, God. I have joy today because I view the manger through these filters. The end causes me joy for the beginning. You will never have the true joy of Christmas if you don't view it through his life, death, and resurrection and coming again. Now you can say, I get it. I got joy over that baby in a manger because that baby in the manger was my redeemer. That baby in a manger was a lamb that took away the sins of the world. That baby in a manger died on the cross. That baby in a manger was the one raised from the dead. That baby in a manger is coming back again. Now, that's why I have joy. And he's far better than a fat guy in a red suit. They think I meant Santa Claus. That's talking about me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you want to help me? You're getting, a fun, you're getting to enjoy this part, I know, especially you. The three favorite words of the day are going to be. Are you ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Listen to me. We're having some fun. But I got to remind you, I got to remind you. I've sat with people and they've said to me, I don't get it. And it's because they weren't, first of all, necessarily believers. A baby born 2,000 years ago? I mean, there was lots of babies born 2,000 years ago. He wasn't the only baby born 2,000 years ago. There was lots of them. What made and set him apart was who he was, but what he did, who he was and what he did. Then now as I look back, on, 
I'm sure he was taking care of business. I, I promise you he was. First of all, I have no idea who said I was done. Anytime I call you, I got another 20 minutes to go. <laughs> if you want to have joy at Christmas, if you want to celebrate the joy of Christmas, the real joy of Christmas, the one that comes from the inside out. The one that comes bubbling up out of you because of the springs of salvation. Then you view this time of year through that spectrum of his life that gives me hope for this life. If, if you want to have joy, the real joy of Christmas you view that baby through the cross of the Redeemer. Now I look back and say, I should have been there. That was my sin that put him there. He was paying a debt for me. He paid a ransom for me. The old song said he paid a debt. I, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt, something I don't know that song you see you're older than me you better remember and now I look at that baby being born and I have this joy and then I look at the resurrection because how many know had it ended in the grave we'd even be looking at him different lots of people died on a cross in Jesus day only one of them was the redeemer of the world. Lots of people died on the cross in Jesus' day. Only one came out of that grave. Now I view him through that. In the future, I see it coming. in Christ Redeemer. This is my challenge to you. My question is, do you have the joy of Christmas? If you don't have the joy of Christmas, you're not viewing it through the right lens. And if you will change the filter by which you see Christmas, what happens on the inside of you will change. If you will change that filter, it's always the guitar players. I got you. That, that wasn't actually. If you will change the filter, 
the inside will change. If you change the filter, the outcome will change. I, 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 I got this refrigerator at home. One of them ones, you know, you get the water out of the door. You know? And when the filter goes bad on the inside, the water tastes a little different on the outside. But when I change the filter, the outcome is different. Listen to me this morning. I'm making you a promise this morning. If you will change the filter by which you view Christmas, if you will change the filter, I promise you the outcome will be different. I promise you, you will have joy coming out of you. I promise you what comes out of you will be far different than what it's been. And that filter has got to be the cross. That filter has to be his life. That filter has to be that empty tomb. And that filter has to be, he's coming back. And you'll have the joy of Christmas. Hmm. My God is so good. But listen to me. And I'm done. None of this is possible until you come to a place where you receive the gospel message by faith. By faith. By faith. There is no other way to receive it. There is no other way to receive salvation. Then I, then I look at this and I come to a place where I say, I believe this. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible tells me when I do that, that I'm born again. And it's only through my born again experience can I view Christmas in a different way with the joy of Christmas. Because now I view the beginning through the end. And seeing the end makes all the difference in the world on how I see the beginning. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to be our redeemer. To defeat sin and temptation in his life. To pay the penalty of sin on that cross. To overcome death through that empty grave. And to be our returning king. And thank you for interceding on our behalf on an inhabited throne. And we'll give you praise this morning. And we will celebrate Christmas with joy because of Jesus. Amen.